everyone. Welcome back to the Leech Podcast, the most visceral podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kate, and I'm joined by two Leechy gentlemen, Aaron Jones, Banks Clark. Hey, guys. Hey, Evan. It's good to be here. The Leech Podcast is a show about movies that suck the life out of you, but also stick with you. They may even be good for you, like a leech. This week's film is Zero Dark Thirty. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow and stars Jessica Chastain, who was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance. This film was nominated for a number of Academy Awards and won an Oscar for Best Sound Editing. There is much, much to talk about here, and we will dive into it shortly. I mean, I just do just want to remind us and our listeners that as we start discussing the film, we're discussing it at a pretty heavy time. And this is August. Next month is going to be the 20-year anniversary of September 11th, which feels pretty heavy right now. I think it's also important that uh, in, in terms of recent events, we've seen the fact that 20-year-long war on terror has ended with the United States pulling out of the country and the Taliban retaking it and then seeing a massive humanitarian and refugee crisis um, occur. And this is uh, content very pertinent to the movie. And it's uh, something that we cannot but be aware of as we discuss the episode. Yeah, well said. I, I agree. And I just think we should, out of respect for those who've lost their lives, their homes, their friends and family, that we should take a moment to uh, consider these things and just pause. So I'd like to just have a moment of silence to remember these people. Okay, thank you. All right, so normally at this time, we talk about anatomy of leeches. We are still going to do that, but we're going to do that at the end of the episode today. Instead, we'd just like to dive right into this movie. So, Banks, will you tell us what happened in this film? Happy to do that. Um, as always, before we begin, just a quick spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about this movie. If you haven't seen it yet, we're going to be talking about all the details. Uh, but uh, also really wanted to say a quick trigger warning. This is a movie that has a lot of uh, potentially triggering uh, content, especially with regard to scenes of torture and warfare. This is definitely a movie that uh, holds no punches about the stories of what war can be, how bad it can be, speaking from the stands, uh, from the position of the United States, speaking from the position of uh, Afghanistan. It is, a, it is a very difficult movie to watch. That said, uh, this is a brilliant film. And uh, this is a film that I see as really occurring in something of three different acts that occurs throughout. If I were to summarize it, uh, I think that we start in the first act as being uh, introduced, the characters to being introduced to the situation. And the movie opens, we're introduced to the news commentaries of 9-11, what's happening, the uh, destruction of the Twin Towers. And we are then thrown right in to an interrogation chamber with the actor Jessica Chastain playing Maya and Jason Clark playing Dan as being these two primary people interrogating. And we get to see just the brutality of what is occurring in order to gain intelligence that the United States can learn what has happened. Who are the people responsible for the atrocious events of 9-11? And from there, 
we see just how far that continues to evolve. And that leads to the second act where all of a sudden all those interrogation methods are no longer allowed. And we see uh, then we all of a sudden have to find the people responsible, the Taliban, Osama bin Laden, in entirely different means and difficulties that that provides. And that that um, that in turn leads to the third act, which is very challenging, in which we actually get to see when they're able to, at the culmination of all these different pieces, um, use the intelligence that they gain. They find Osama bin Laden. They're able to locate where they think he is and then initiate a strike that leads to the effective assassination of Osama bin Laden in what they call the greatest manhunt in history. So why don't we uh, just stick with you, Banks? Is there a theme from this movie that stood out to you? I'm going to say that a leechy theme of this movie is patriotism. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I think that the thing that I cannot uh, – I watched this movie when it first came out, y'all, and I, I, I watched it this past week. And in light of everything that we've seen of this year from what's happened in Afghanistan, it, it, how can you not think of uh, what it means to love a country as much as you can? To love it and then feel the pain of 9-11? How can you not empathize with um, just all the characters in this movie striving to find the people who uh, committed this, who planned this, who allowed this, who allowed it to occur and then you watch it and you watch the atrocities that that vigor that that zeal inspires Mm -hmm. and you start to feel guilty you start to feel in it it brings up uh, unspeakable thoughts and i don't know i think many of us have had experience in actually working with and speaking with veterans of the war in afghanistan in Iraq and I have not served and yet you're watching this movie and now we're watching what's history play out before our eyes right now. And you're seeing what war looks like. And I know that I love this country Mm -hmm. and I know that I love a lot. And I know that I hate what occurred on 9-11 and I hate the zeal that also is brutally portrayed in this movie as wrong the torture Mm. the civilian casualties yeah the blatant killing of children and women just because they're there and looking at a love of country as being a source of it it can't help but be a leechy theme and someone like me who can't let go of a love of country and let go of his own patriotism here's a movie that says here's the cost that's a leechy. Uh, that that is the the leechiest theme I can find in this movie, gentlemen. Mm. My theme is, you had one job, <laughs> and I'm struck by Maya's character in many ways in this film. She is the central character. A lot of the film is seen from her perspective, and as I think about what we know about her, we know that she's really good at her job. She's highly competent. She sees every detail. She works harder than anybody else. She's utterly devoted to her work, to her country, um, as you describe well, Banks. And yet there's this coldness about her work. There's this, I don't know, especially by the end, you see the hollowness perhaps of it all. She has been really good at her job 
And we'll talk more about this later, but I do think there is something in her tears at the end um, that show the limits of only having one job in life. And so, yeah, the limits of professionalism might be a way to put it. She says at a number of points, just do your job. And so I just, I'm that, that theme of work and doing your job and doing it well, but also the hollowness of doing it well, that is lychee for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm thinking a way I would articulate that is like the danger of a single minded obsession, that there's a way in which that seems to do harm. And I, for me, I, as I look at the film, I'm, I'm kind of torn between different themes that I observe. And one of them has to do with this uh, Machiavellian theme of the ends justify the means. Mm. And when I look at this film, I see it as a strange form of fantasy. I see, I see a film that claims to be obsessively about reality, but that is actually a form of fantasy, ideological fantasy about the ends justifying the means. Because it's building and building and building while there's this accumulation of pain and tragedy and trauma toward the final moment, the sort of orgasmic climactic moment where the end goal of destroying Osama seems to justify all the other harm and all the other shattering. And I think it's a fantasy to suggest that that's true. I don't think it justifies it. I think that the film spends its final third lavishly, lavishly portraying the murder of Osama bin Laden, a great murderer himself, lavishly portraying that in a way that's meant to seduce me into a fantasy of believing that that kind of project justifies all kinds of trauma and harm and civilian death. And I and I just don't think in its project of recreating reality that it's real. And what, so I'm curious just to hear, Aaron, what would you say to the fact, the fact that it, many would claim that this is a very real depiction? <laughs> I would claim that every depiction is a collection of choices. Every depiction is a collection of choices about that which will be shown. Hmm and about where the lens will linger and where time will be spent. And what's interesting is that at the end of the film, the focus is not actually on, we never actually get to see the face of the slain Osama bin Laden. It's not about Osama bin Laden. It's about the act of killing him. It's about the vindictive act. And I I don't know, it's about choices for me. It's about the manhunt. Yeah, it's about... The manhunt and and justifying the manhunt itself, too. I feel like this film is an act of devotion. That's both. That's both. I I think the film is inherently contradictory in my mind. That it's both a critique of these methods of torture and the obsessive quest to kill Osama bin Laden and to justify the war on terror by accomplishing that mission. I think it's a critique, but I also find it a celebration of the accomplishment, which I think, again, comes back to the study of fantasy and the ends justifying the means. So I don't know. Your question's hard to answer, but I stand by what I said. It's a good question. And I think this may be a good point to note that part of this film, that it generated a lot of controversy on precisely this point. Very much so. How realistic was it? Which facts are accurate? 
which facts did they exaggerate, which facts are left out, which characters are composite. Uh, there is there's a long literature on that, which we, we could get into. But I think one thing that's a tension in the film that I see is it has a kind of documentary feel, right? This is this is just what happened, right? These are just the things that happened in Guantanamo <laughs> or in Pakistan or, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. And yet the director and screenwriter themselves went out of their way to say, no, 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 this is not a documentary. It's it's more like journalism or it's realistic. But that's one of these contradictions or tensions or whatever you want to call it, a different one that you're describing, Aaron. But I think is at the heart of this film, too, is by making something that seems so realistic and yet is like any piece of fiction, not what really happened. And then also even some of the facts that it talks about maybe didn't happen quite the way they describe. What does that say about the piece of art as a whole? Yeah, it's it's almost like we're describing the very limits of fiction. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Hey, well, let me let me let me jump back in here because I also think that part of the the question about the film has to do with its intended audience, its intended audience. And as I watch the film, I so understand that I, as an American, am the intended audience. Are you though? And that someone, I feel like it. <laughs> I don't feel like this film is meant to entertain or to delight or grant or give satisfaction to someone who's living and watching films in the Middle East. I'm sorry. This is a, this is a podcast about films that are meant to leech, that are not meant to entertain necessarily, that are meant to be painful even in the watching. Yeah. Is it not possible that this is a leech film from its inception? I'm going to push back on you, my friend, my leechy friend. Hmm. I think that this film can't make up its mind Ooh. on whether it wants to be a leech film or whether it wants to be a purely ejaculatory patriotic celebration whoa, whoa, of the killing whoa. of Osama bin Laden. I don't think wow. it can make up its mind. Okay. There's a lot there. We do want to get into that. <laughs> bold, but, bold words, bold but, words. Um, let's maybe dive into a couple scenes and characters and that might help us unpack some of these bold claims. So I'll start mm. us off. We want to talk about leechy scenes in this film of which I believe there are many, but I will focus on the second scene of torture. Both scenes, both extended scenes are very difficult to watch, I find. But there was something about the second one where Maya, who first was the observer, now in the second one is is more or less leading the torture. So we see her now embracing this role even more so in the pursuit of the ends that Aaron described. But in the second round of torture, there is physical and sexual humiliation mm-hmm. and also uh, this intense, intense bodily torture where they they make him go into a very small box. Mm. And I was just sick and upset watching this. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so hard about this scene on top of just the um, how difficult it is to observe it's also a really hinge moment in the movie where out of that experience a little bit later, they get information from that person they had tortured mm. that eventually down the road leads to the, the location of Osama bin Laden. So it's an awful scene on its own, but it's also sort of awful in the string of events that it unfolds. Oh, gosh. I mean, those scenes really do stick with you. They are, they're leachy to the core. And I think, and I think that's where I, my speaking to the contradictory nature of the film, I'm not supposed to enjoy that. In fact, I think I'm supposed to be sickened by it. And I am. 
And I am. And yet I'm told by the film that, there, that those actions are justified in a way because of what happens in the end. And so I think that's what I'm being told. But for me, I'm one of the things that is so difficult about this film is that it not only tries to recreate what happens in those torture rooms, but it also tries to recreate some of these horrific moments that supposedly justify the torture happening attacks Uh, of terror. And for me, Mm -hmm. leachy scenes in the film. Now what's interesting is that the film, when it, when speaking to the moment of the nine 11 terror attacks and the twin towers, black screen, black screen, Mm -hmm. we don't see them, but then the film wants us to see these, these attacks that continue in other settings, Uh, a double decker bus in the UK or a hotel, a bomb going off out front of a hotel. And, but don't you think that part of that is because, again, of knowing audience? D- I, there is not an American alive who doesn't have those images ingrained mm-hmm. in their memory mm-hmm. and to the point of it's a little bit cheap and unrespectful of the audience to then blast them again. I think, yeah, I think it's irresponsible to re-traumatize with those scenes. And in fact, I think it's so strange that this, this film come, is part of a genealogy of films that are a reflection on 9-11 or the war on terror, some of which want to show at our scenes about what, what happens on one of the flights around 9-11, right? What, what's going on in that setting? I wish we could see what that looked like, sounded like, or felt like. And it's like, I don't want that, actually. And so when I f- saw them on film with these terror attacks and in other places, showing what that would be like, oh, my God, I, I found that so difficult. Um, and I was thinking to myself, oh, this feels sick. Like This feels like a sick thing to do, to actually try and film an artificial recreation of those moments. I, mean, I found it very leechy. I think there's a lot of different ways to look at what's happening there, but that's something that took a lot out of me. I found myself stricken and horrified, you know, that some people live under those kind of threats on a daily basis, and I'm horrified. Mm-hmm. And maybe, again, maybe the movie accomplished its goals in those moments. Uh, I have to say, Aaron, I, it's hard to... Those are really hard scenes. <laughs> they're, they're heartbreakers. They're unthinkable in some ways, and that's why I can't stop thinking them, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, you know, it, it's so interesting. The echoes of 9-11 in this film ring throughout even a black screen to the point of mm-hmm. where for me, when I look at the, some of those scenes, for example, the terror attack on the hotel for me, that that's you, you read the headlines, but I, I had never seen what that actually looked like mm-hmm. because we'd all, all of us had seen the towers, but we hadn't seen the Marriott and this movie showed you it. And for part of me, like that was a powerful emotional reaction. I think that it utilizes that in the story and the way to tell a story that has a very clear, you know, narrative arc that's trying to say a very specific thing. But also part of me is like, I didn't know this part of the damn war. Mm -hmm. So much of this film showed me things that I didn't know even know were there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Things that were so convenient not to know were there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I, I'm mm. going to be honest, I don't have a leechiest scene because I, I can't even make sense of the film to begin with. 
So I'm, I'm going to probably bow out of it. But yep. what, what I am going to say is the scenes that were hardest for me were the scenes where all of a sudden I had to face the fact that I did not understand what was going on in the least. It wasn't just the narrative. It wasn't just the media. It wasn't just terrorists. And it wasn't just the Americans. And to this, I am watching them as we speak. I, as I say these words, I am seeing those scenes replay being like, I still don't know what is what happened in the country. And as we are, you know, and that country led is now in a state that I still don't understand. That that is all I can leave you guys with in terms of scene, because it just it, it rattled me. It rattled me to my bones. Yeah. And I think I really do honestly believe that that part of the desire of the people who made this film is to educate. Or is to, what is it, what is the Flannery O'Connor line? For those who are uh, nearly blind and hard of hearing, you paint in large and startling figures. For people who are complacent, you have to shock them awake. Hmm. And there's a way in which I think that the film does want an American people that that has become complacent or detached from the war on terror to be immediately put in contact with it and shocked, electric shocked back into an awareness of it. And for as much as I said earlier about the film having a celebratory component, I also think that I I feel like I can sort of see why they might've felt a documentary would be insufficient because it's not a full recreation of those moments. But that does get to your attention though, Aaron, of it, it is shocking. And I think for the first third to half of the film, there's so much of this shocking uh, these awful attacks are happening. You understand why Maya is driven the way she is. And yet at the end, it's still, well, we're going to have to talk more about this, but at the end, it still ends up with them succeeding in the mission. They, they find the bad guy. And, mm. you know, I, I want to compare it maybe to apocalypse now, which we've talked about, sure. which Ouch. I feel like the tone yeah. of that movie is very much. It's, it's hitting on all the patriotic themes that you mentioned banks. There's pageantry, there's the American military, all these things. And yet there's pretty, I don't know, there, we debated it, but there's a pretty clear sense that, man, this war was a bad idea and it unlocked these awful things in human beings. And I think this movie uh, I see where you're going, Evan, doesn't quite do that. The hmm. way they set up the torture in the beginning, I think yep. they, they yep. could have yep. taken us there. But by the end, again, it's this like, I, I wonder if Mark Bull, the screenwriter, or Catherine Bigelow, the director, were just so impressed by the competency of the CIA and the military forces in getting bin Laden that they just couldn't maintain the critique all the way through. They were just like, actually at the end of the day, these folks were great at their jobs. Uh, and that's, that's impressive. Mm. You know, like, I don't mean to make light of it, but I, that's, I think speaks to the dissonance at the heart of the film. Mm. This, this film hurt me more than apocalypse now. Really? Easily. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in pieces right now. This is, no, well, I'm interested in why. So, was it, is it that it's so cold or almost procedural or what, what was it that, that undid you in a way that uh, apocalypse now did not? I don't think there's, I think it's because it is, this film is neither cold nor procedural. Ah. I think that this film is incredibly human to all the way down. Hmm. The film does a very good job of letting you empathize with whoever you want to. Hmm. And I say that as a white American. So 
my my <laughs> for uh, I think that that is a huge bias. But what hurts me is I can empathize just as well with the commandos as I can with the people who are in you know even Osama bin Laden's fortress. And I don't know who to root for anymore. Mm. Apocalypse Now, powerful as it was, never got me to that point. It was more concerned with telling the story of the heart of darkness. <laughs> this film is caught up in, I think, the exact same milestone that I'm caught up in, which is, what the hell are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really insightful. Okay. Yeah, agreed. Aaron, uh, is there a character that is especially leechy for you? Yeah, I... As I was thinking about this, I was in a, a bit of a struggle. And for me, the leechy character that I landed on is some, someone really unexpected. And it's a character who is a ghost for most of the film. And it's the character that everyone keeps naming as a rumor. And that Chastain is like hurting people and waiting through evidence to find. And it's the person who's the courier ah. for Osama bin Laden. Abu Ahmed al-Kuwaiti, who we only see as he's being photographed through the window of his vehicle. Do you remember this? Uh-huh. And he drives the white SUV. Those those moments just seeing him through the window. Uh, he's someone who's sort of devised this uh, this reality of, of entire like concealment and anonymity, almost impossible to find. And just kind of driving this white SUV and making phone calls, relaying messages for this terror network. And I'm like, what is this that I'm witnessing? This is where I come up against what you're saying, Banks, this unintelligibility. Like, this is a life that I don't understand. And it is really, really just like seeing (laughs) this person, like living their life, driving in circles to be impossible to find hiding within these walls, but helping, but doing these things so that they can continue to help a terror network operate. I don't know, for some reason, like, as I was like, who is a leechy character in this movie? Who like, like takes something out of me and sticks with me in a way that's really uncomfortable? That's what came to mind. Not what I expected necessarily, but it's what I came away with. Mm. That's powerful. That's a hard character for me because I don't know enough to relate. Mm-hmm. With that relation, I, I, I can't get a leechy character, <laughs> right? Mm. Takes two of the leech, you know? <laughs> but, uh, it used to be a leech I mean, and something for it to leech on, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, for me, if, if I am the host, then the leech is certainly uh, Dan. This is the character played by Jason Clark. And he is, mm-hmm. you walk into the film. Dan is the character that greets you with brutality. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the purpose of Dan's character even is just to be, put you in the role of Maya, who is shocked by how brutal the circumstances are. And Dan is the one carrying it out. And so Dan is his character. And so he sticks with you. For me, that's not just the fact that he's bought into this is how interrogation works. This is how we get intelligence. It's how easily he slips into the role of bureaucrat after. Yes. Mm. Yes. And you see him with his tie. You see him so much. He's cleaned up. He is, you know, at Langley, you know, living up. 
And it's the same person that you, you met the initial movie who was stripping men naked and then watching and then watching men suffer because all of a sudden against their religion, all of a sudden a woman is looking at the genitals. It's someone that brutal now in a tie brutal, like beautifully dressed. Mm-hmm. If that isn't a critique, if that isn't a critique of American democracy oh. and bureaucracy, I don't know what it is. Yeah, oh, it yeah. is. Oh, yeah. And it stings. I'm, I'm going to say the leech's character, Dan. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm right there with you. Dan was my choice as well. Mm. And I, I would echo everything that you've said and just add two pieces of information. One, the scene where he is feeding ice cream to monkeys. <laughs> oh my God. It's caged really awful. creatures. Caged creatures, mind you. It's a um, um, one of them. And it's, you know, you think on one level, oh, is this going to humanize this person? Is he nice to animals? But he's not really. And then, you know, the monkey does steal his ice cream when he's not looking, which is, I guess, a nice touch. But that, I think, is an image I have with him. And the other one, so that's him in in the field uh, as torturer. But then to follow Banks' uh, timeline here, he also ends up as a bureaucrat. And I think the scene from that that sticks out to me is in the last meeting before they okay the raid. Maya is the only one in the room who 100% believes that Bin Laden is in the compound. Yes. And they Absolutely. go around the room and some people are like, oh no, it's 60%. Uh, I think it's 40. I think it's, I don't know. People are all hedging their bets. And Dan, who has seen her in action firsthand, has shown her the ropes, shown her what to do, called her a literal killer. He does not back her up. He says it's a soft 60%. He, he sells her out. He doesn't back her up. And mm-hmm. that to me is so slimy and leachy. And I mean, on one level, he's done exactly what he said he was going to do. He was going to go to DC and play the game. Mm-hmm. But to see him do that to this person, Maya, who is so much better at her job, so much more competent. And she's right. We all know she's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, let's not forget the gender politics here too. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is the only woman in the room. She's the only woman in almost every scene in this movie. And this is the one dude who we think really gets her and is on her side. And he sells her out in this final meeting. That guy's a leech. Total leech. Mm. And Maya fucking owns that scene, by the way. She does. That should be the last word of that scene. Because she just... Perhaps my favorite scene in the movie is that one right there. Wow. Not because it's leechy. It's because it's just badass. Well, and Chastain is so amazing and just mm-hmm. humanizes Maya. And I mean, we know more about Maya than almost any other character. So I guess before we leave Leechy character, I think it's worth considering. Does anyone like, how do we feel about Maya with regard to this character? I mean, she's, she's super intense. She's obsessed. Is she Leechy though? I'm the one who said that Leechy characters, you got to have some empathy to be Leechy. Mm-hmm. I empathize more with her than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, if anything else, like the only reason why she isn't mentioned is by Lichius is because it's a little too close to home. She's she's like the one the one character you're meant to identify with in a way. I don't know. I think I'm just saying that I'm like, geez, I empathize with her, and I don't want to be the Lichius. I don't want Banks to be the Lichius character, and so I'm like, I empathize mm-hmm. with her the most. <laughs> so better not be she, her. <laughs> she has a kind of like, she has hope. She has integrity. Yeah. She has ambition. She has this unrelenting 
pursuit of the truth. You know, she, she wants it. And, and I think that there's enough sort of distancing of her from the, the, the worst trauma, trauma inducing behavior that Dan implements that like somehow she holds our empathy more than he can as the kind of the primary agent of that harm. Somehow I think they, she, if there are like concentric rings around the center of hell, <laughs> like he's down there at the bottom ring, but she's like a couple rings removed. Or at least I yes. think the film lets me feel that way. Maybe I'm right there with her. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't. She, she's a tough one because she shows a level of humanity at the end, I think with her tears and, mm. and even this sense of they ask where she wants to go and she doesn't know where she wants to go next. Yeah. And mm. that's, that's a very human moment. I, there's a way you could read that as a critique of the whole film, just the look on her face. So it's hard for me to find her leechy in that way. Like she's not Howard Ratner from uncut gems. She's, she's not oh, Daniel gosh. Plainview, but she's, I think her circumstance is very leachy. Again, the, the gender mm. dynamics, she is, Again, this this woman in this role who is ambitious, is really smart, has integrity, and yet to succeed in that world has to go along with torture, brutality, uh, a sort of win-at-all-cost mentality. And you see the cost of that to her and to others. And all I'll say is, the only thing I will add to that is, we have looked at leechy characters who aren't leechy in a purely negative sense. That's right. That's right. Hmm. Well, here's, okay, here's, here's, and those are the, se- no, nah, I'm not, I'm not, doing hey, it. come I'm on, come on, leechy friend. Come on. And uh, I, 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 I think that Maya as a character plays into a lot of the virtues that we've seen from the leechiest characters who leech on to you in a medicinal, Ooh. powerful sense. Hmm. Thanks. That feels like a nice segue, but, but I want to hear from Aaron too. So <laughs> yeah, let me, I, I just feel like I have to just get this out really quickly, which is this, I think one of the reasons that I'm having trouble identifying with her as a lychee character is that in some ways she doesn't feel fully like a person in this movie, but more like an embodiment of an idea mm-hmm. because she is a composite. Actually, if we look at the history, she's a composite and for me, she's more like an embodied idea, an embodiment of the quest or an embodiment of the American obsession behind the quest that finds itself entirely moorless and entirely lost once it's got what it wanted at the end. So I, yeah, but I'm, I'm interested in this medicinal piece. Let's go there. I'll go there. If we're, if, are, we, are we ready for that place? I think we are. Yeah, this movie doesn't have any places first to go to the beach so i think we should just dive right into <laughs> the haruto yeah, therapy we really really scrambling this is a desert like, without a beach y'all a desert without a beach oh my gosh it's <laughs> wow uh wow yeah uh banks is there a is there a medicine something instructive for you so i'm gonna build off of my good friend aaron here and say <laughs> i agree i think that the movie is artful in the way that it displays Maya as a composite. Hmm. I love the scene where they're in like the Langley cafeteria. And he asks her, what have you done? Only Osama bin Laden. Like it's so plainly saying you have been built for this and this alone. 
Why is it that I look at that scene and I'm like, that's me? Why is it that I, that I watch that scene and I'm like, I'm just a composite too? What do you like, mean? What do you mean? Aren't we all just a composite of the most powerful experiences, most educational experiences, most formative experiences of our lives? And here we're looking at somebody for whom all those experiences happen to align to a single goal. And there's something I envy about that. Somebody for whom all of their experiences seem to be aligning in opposite directions. They don't align (laughs) anywhere. I don't know what the hell I'm doing in life. (laughs) And here's somebody for whom they all combine and they combined to something monumental, whether we want to say it in the end was something that made the world better or not. We can Mm. talk about, Mm. but, it certainly exposes the fact that I don't feel any more or less composite than she is. And so when I think about medicinal qualities, heck we can't, we, we, we just can't escape ourselves. We are built of the history that made us. I think there's a medicinal thought in there. So you're saying something like seeing her kind of living in such a radical response to her moment, there's this kind of honesty about how much we are defined and shaped by our experiences and the history around us. That, that seeing that named in her character or embodied in her character, that does something for you. Or it affirms something about the complicated nature of life for you. <laughs> I think you just overthought the hell out of that. (laughs) I think that she's honest. And I think that she's Uh, just saying, hell, we're formed and we do the best we can. Okay. I (laughs) I really like that. There's something good about that. (laughs) We are formed and we do the best we can. I'll take that. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Yeah. When I think about medicine, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. And certainly, like I said, I think this film is supposed to electrify me and jolt me awake in a way that's really uncomfortable. And I think it accomplishes that. And if part of what it's trying to do is uh, provide therapy for my complacency, yes. Mission accomplished. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And I think that it's meant to be a bitter medicine. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bitter medicine by design. It's not meant to go down in a, with a sweet, pleasant flavor. No, indeed. I don't mean to cut you off, Aaron, but I, I have, I think, maybe two med- medicinal pills from this movie. One's a small <laughs> oh, pill no. and one's maybe a bigger pill. Okay. <laughs> the small pill, what I wrote in my notes was, competency is not virtue. Mm. You can be really good at something, but not be good. Oof. Ouch. So... <laughs> I just think these people in this movie are so good at what they do and what they're doing is largely not. I mean, again, what are the ends that they're doing them for? They're bad. I I just, that's where I'm at. So that'd be the small pill. And then I think as you described Maya as a composite of many people, and you talked about the history that she embodies in her person Hmm. in a weird way that actually connects, I think to my bigger pill, which I want to give my, my partner, Lucy, a lot of credit for this. We talked about this film a lot mm. and she thinks that Maya in the film is very much like America. 
that she sort of stands in as an archetype for America. So technically uh, adept, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very rigorous, has a sense of righteousness. There's almost a messianism about Maya. Remember, I survived these bombings, unlike my friends, so that I could finish the job, she says at one point in the film. Yeah. She's at times vengeful. She's obsessed. Mm -hmm. She's single-minded in the pursuit of excellence. I mean, there's just so many American tropes wrapped up in her character. And I think if you see her as America Mm -hmm. and you see the ambivalence about what she's willing to do to attain certain ends. And then by the end of the film, how disappointed she is or how hollow that victory is. Mm. I, I think there's something about to go to your theme banks of patriotism. There's something about America that is being uh, described shown Mm. to us in the person of Maya. Mm. And if I could just add one more little wrinkle to it, that the old Mm. uh, U S history teacher in me, I felt like I had to do this. (laughs) So it might be a total stretch. So bear with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all remember the Columbia painting, the Manifest Destiny painting of this mm. large sort of heavenly uh, woman, Columbia, striding across the prairies, bringing telephone lines and uh, pioneer wagons um, and you know, basically pushing away native peoples. Mm. It's an image that's often used to describe Manifest Destiny which is a big idea in the 1840s. However, the painting came in the 1870s. So it is a fictionalized retelling of a history that, that sort of glamorizes this American ideal. And I wonder if in some ways this film is like that. It is, it is a retelling of America that doesn't elide all of the complications. But at the end of it, again, depending on how you read the end of it, they get the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And they are extending American reach across the globe no matter who's already there. It's like she she's like she is like Lady Liberty. Yes. She's at the end all these all these uh womanly figures who embody the principles and ideals of the American system. Feel free to push back on that. That could be a total stretch. And yet those ideals are yeah. still there. <laughs> I, I think it's a harsh read, not gonna lie. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and this is the art history buff amongst us. Ah. I'm not saying but, it's great um, art. By the way, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I will say I think this movie is great art. Yes, mm. I will put that out there. I think it's controversial. I think it's difficult, and I think that it's the kind of art that we all need to reckon with. Mm. But I also think it's very honest art, and that's why I think it's great because I really think that this is the kind of movie that gets that touches. Americans across their experiences. Mm. And I think that is rare. And I think that is laudable. Yeah. Mm. Ah. So Mm. maybe that's a transition into the final score. Yes. How many leeches? How many leeches (laughs) this film might give? Shoot. Mm. I need to think about this. Yeah. Well, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. I mean, you need to think less than I do. <laughs> if you're immediately, if you have leeches on the tip of your tongue, which, by the way, you should get that looked at. Yes, you should. <laughs> you should go ahead, and I'll go right after you. Uh, I'm giving this film three leeches. Oh, wow! Three leeches for this film. I think it's a very leechy film. Mm. I think it's challenging. When I think of what a leech film is. I think in our last episode, I gave a rousing number of 
zero. <laughs> this is its antithesis. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> this is a movie where you are challenged in a very core sense. And mm. I have not been able to shake it. Here's the thing though. Like I watched the movie mm. and I, within three minutes, I already knew the entire movie mm-hmm. because it was that vivid in my memory from the last time I'd watched it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was what? Five, seven years prior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, had, it had stuck with me. It just needed a little spark and it was there and it has been hurting ever since it has leached and has made me think. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm a better person having thought of it. Yeah. I was, I wanted to give it three leeches, but felt like I couldn't because of the last 30 to 45 minutes of the film. And honestly, I think, well, I think where things kind of, you said that there was a scene that was your, your favorite where they're kind of in that boardroom and they're saying how much of a percentage they are confident about this. And, and there, there were moments where this movie became, it felt like it was becoming a thriller and it was meant to thrill me. Are you not entertained? Right. I mean, I think that's the whole thing <laughs> for me. <laughs> Where and like, as soon as as soon as we meet the soldiers who do the mission, and I think for me, part of it has to do with Chris Pratt, Star Lord, just identifying him <laughs> as kind of like American Commando superhero guy. Yeah, like a Guardian of the Galaxy. I think part of it is about his reputation, but I think like seeing him. And his sort of, it feels, starts to become a buddy comedy between him and his, like, best bud on Miss the Commandos. Let me check the actor's name here. Joel Edgerton as Patrick. And for me, it's like, it's so hard just to, to take the film seriously as that begins happening. Because that's when the, the notes of triumphalism, which maybe are meant purely as critique, but the notes of triumphalism start to sound loud and proud over the film. We're, like, looking at the... I'm trying to figure out how to how to say this without sounding like a total jerk. The machismo guys there who are who are kind of accomplishing the mission and like like playing games together, and it's all just part of like it, it looks like this ideal. Um, for me, it felt like a recruitment video, a recruitment video for the armed forces. If you want to serve your country, like look what you can accomplish. Look at how exciting this is. Look at the kind of of brotherhood and excitement that you could experience. And for me, like that's where I think part of the charge of propaganda comes into the film where it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Where was all the disgust and critique from before? Not that I, and I have really complicated feelings about the, what those men accomplished. I mean, I'm astounded by it, but for me, like I, I wanted it to be a three leecher and that moment sort of made me feel like, Oh, this film didn't land in the way that I wanted it to. And maybe that's just selfish. Maybe that's just me. But I, I'm giving it two leeches. I, I went on way too long, but two leeches. That's where I'm at. All right. So for me, my leech rating, I think I'm at two. And I'm mindful of a conversation we had a while back with Dr. Sebastian Kvist, who is the curator of invertebrates at the Royal Ontario Museum. He's a delightful fellow. And he very reminded us man. that one... Dr. Very handsome, Great hair. Uh, one thing that... Amazing hair, especially under hats. Yeah, I mean, mm, so much style. Mm-hmm. Well, what Dr. Kvist said to us was that leeches, they secrete a protein into your blood that allows it to flow more freely. It prevents coagulation. Mm-hmm. It allows the blood to flow. And I think about with this movie, I have had a lot to think about 
since I watched this. I kind of haven't stopped thinking about it. I've been reading about it. I've been talking with pretty much everybody I run into contact with. And there's some there's some blood that was flowing mm-hmm. in my brain thinking about this movie. Now, I'm only at a two because I think, unlike some other Leech films that might get a three or four, the second viewing didn't quite sort of reshape how I see the world, which I think for the really high Leech films, for me, that's kind of what I'm looking for. But it did really stimulate a lot of questions um, about the war on terror, about American patriotism, uh, about, about war and all these big questions. So I'm at two leeches uh, just because it got my blood flowing. Jeez, that's why I'm at three. <laughs> <laughs> metrics, y'all, metrics. I'm just saying like. Yeah, it's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say preach it. Aaron, your turn. <laughs> no, I already said, yeah. That's the it's the ending for me, yeah. The last thirty minutes. <laughs> it takes it takes the last leech. I'm like, hey, I have these three leeches attached, they're like sucking my blood, making it flow, and then all of a sudden one of the leeches is like, I'm full, I'm gonna detach. Right there at the end of the movie, and I want them all to still be there at the end. Wait, where's the fourth leech then normally attached? Oh, well, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't attached. Was a personal problem. We don't need to know about that. That's <laughs> okay. The fourth leech wasn't uh, attached. <laughs> <laughs> or you're right. It was like down my throat somewhere. That's why I said all these weird things today. <laughs> it was speaking through me. Mm. I guess this raises a question, though. It's like if we give a leech a high or give a film a leech, if we give a film a high leech rating, <laughs> if you give a film that, a leech. If you give a film a leech, it's going to want a mosquito to go with it. <laughs> if you give a moose a muffin, if you give a film a leech, I love it. I mean, I just feel like on some level, if we give a high rating, we're endorsing a film. It's not a two thumb. It's not Siskel and Eber. It's not four stars. It's not Rotten Tomatoes. It's a leech rating, and that's a special sacred thing. But I'm just mm-hmm. in like, I, I feel conflicted about this movie. I, I don't yeah. think it's quite as rah rah patriotic, maybe as. Aaron described, mm-hmm. but there's enough of it at the end. Mm. It does make me uncomfortable. And I do think some of the, if they hadn't had such a, re- I mean, part of why apocalypse now works for me. And I know I'm just kind of like it's rambling here. unapologetically unpatriotic. Yeah. Well, and it's also absurdist. <laughs> it's not trying to be realistic. Mm-hmm. This film is trying to be realistic and then doesn't tell all the facts. Right. And so it's true. And that's okay. Like I get that. Mm. but like, don't tell me this is like pseudo journalism, but not a documentary and then get the facts wrong and then basically be pro torture. That's misleading. It's misleading. That's hard. But here's the thing, man, half a lot of the facts they got right. were right. I know. I know. And those facts tell the story of what happened. Yeah. And well, so and I, it's and I, I'm scary. willing to, yeah. Like, yeah, they got a lot and, wrong. And I'm willing to live with I'm the uncomfortable. I'm not saying they didn't tell the story, though. Yeah, they did. And I'm willing to live with the uncomfortable truth that I think is true, is that sometimes actionable intelligence has historically come through means of torture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I oppose that practice. I don't think it's actually the best way to get actionable intelligence. Um, and I think there's a long history of people discussing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this film does make the point. Yeah. Hey, some information did come from torture that was useful in finding Osama bin Laden and man. And that, that sucks. That's shitty. I wish that was not the case. I mean, I think that the film says, yeah, if you torture people, people say stuff. 
I think that we saw that in Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, I think the whole point, the point of the movie isn't that. The point of the movie is we tortured people so that they would say stuff. They say stuff. They say something. Yeah. Right. And some of that, some of that stuff inevitably had to be semi-actionable. Yeah. And that's what's fucked up. And that's the part that sticks with me is the thing that hurts me Hmm. about this movie perhaps isn't actually what we saw. Yeah. It's what we didn't. How much unactionable intelligence did we extract? Did we test? Did we bomb? Yeah. Because we tortured. That haunts me from this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's in the negative space of it because the movie says we tortured people so that they would say shit. And then we did everything we could to build on that evidence. Mm. And it's pretty wild because like we... We tortured so many people to get to Intel from like a few, a handful. And then it was lost for seven years in like some bin at the CIA that some like Maya like fan went through all of it and found it almost kind of by accident. And that's how they did. And so it was like in a way like good detective work. So props to her. Yeah, but still. But it's like, but the cost of getting that and just, I don't know, there's just, there's, you could read it as what a miracle that we found it. Right. And thank God, cause we killed bin Laden. But if you have any like ethical sense at all from any like ethical tradition, like you have to think that this is really troubling. Yeah, it's yeah. true. We have a interesting debate between the twos and the threes, <sighs> no ones and fours or zeros here. Yeah, that's true. So the question remains, what about you, the the listeners? How many leeches? This is the question. This is a very opposite film. It's something that speaks to our current uh, our current year, and love to hear more about what you guys think. So hit us up, and hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Uh, Evan, what are those details? Yeah, just to give some detail there. Twitter, we are at Leech Pondcast. And on Instagram, we are the Leech Podcast. Sorry, the Leech Podcast on Instagram. So please uh, send us your questions, your thoughts. We would love to hear from you, guys. What do you think? Can we do without Leech Anatomy this week, or do I do I need to say a couple? I, yeah, words? I was pausing. I felt like I I do feel like I need to learn some more about leeches. Oh, I mean, gosh. Aaron, can you please teach us? I cannot end without <laughs> learning about Leech Anatomy. Give me some Leech Anatomy. Teach us now. about the leeches. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I will, I will try and be brief here and just tell you about, I was doing a little research into what are the leeches that live and thrive in the Middle East. All right. I'm looking at a specific kind of leech called the Limnatus nilotica, which kind of can be found as far west as the Mediterranean Sea around Palestine and as far east as India, whole region. And uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting to wow. me is to think about kind of the terrain in this country. And we were joking, I mean, not joking, but we were commenting earlier on desert terrain and talking about this is a, this movie is like a, uh, it's a beach without an ocean, right? Uh, Or it's a, yeah, beach without water. And so what I want to talk about is water, because if you're going to have the leeches, you need to have the water. And what's interesting is that uh, leeches in the Middle East are most often most dangerous to animals that drink from the stagnant springs. So 
animals like cows, camels, sheep, herd animals that need water to thrive and survive. And in fact, the problem with this uh, Limnatus nilotica, very commonly found leech in the Middle East, is that if you're if you're slurping up water <laughs> from from a spring or a pond, I know where this is going. Likely, it's <laughs> like good. It's likely gonna get stuck in your throat. Oh. It's likely gonna gonna latch on right there in your throat, and by golly, it can cause uh, oh gosh, a lot of problems, including like a, a hemorrhage or anemia. <laughs> but let me just say one last thing. Please, no more, please no don't more. continue. I, but I, I came across this fascinating article. I mean, I was I was looking at that from comparative clinical pathology, an article about respiratory distress in uh, cows in Iran. Mm. But now this other article is from the border of um, over near Pakistan, India, and Afghanistan, and the writer is talking about uh, biblical references to water sipping and water slurping that may be related to leeches. This is the last thing I'll say. There's a story in the Bible of all places about Gideon, who's picking out soldiers. Here we come back to the idea of soldiers again. And Gideon picks out his soldiers based on the way that they drink from streams and springs there while he's in Palestine. Ah. And he chooses the one that use, that take their hands into the water. Ah. They take their hands into the water and they lift it out. They lift it out so that they can examine the water before they slurp, Mm. as opposed to someone who puts their face right down in the spring and drinks whatever's there. That would be me. (laughs) That person may be be too careless and may end up getting a leech in their throat, and they should not be serving on the squadron. That's all for me for today. Wow. Wow. That's (laughs) – thank you for that. Um, I will not think about drinking from a stream in the same way again. Thank you. Nor will I ever drink from a stream again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Neither in thought nor deed. Yes. Well, on that note, thanks everyone for tuning in to the Leech Podcast. It has been great being with you. We wish you all the best and look forward to talking and hanging out together again soon. Take care, y'all. This episode was hosted by Evan Kate, Banks Clark, and Aaron Jones. Editing by Evan Kate. Graphic design by Banks Clark. Original music by Justin Klump of Podcast Sound and Music. Production help by Lisa Gray of Soundmind Productions. And equipment help and consultation from Topher Thomas. <laughs>